Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back again. Keith flying all hours of the night just to make it back for his show. Well, you know, I am committed. I, I am committed. You were you didn't even need a plane for the team flight home last night from Syracuse the way they played. Uh, they were shooting threes from the rear end of the aircraft, and everything was swish. That was quite a performance for the Knowles last night. We'll talk about basketball in a minute. The big story today, signing day. And signing day, we say this every year. So you get some, you miss some, and then you have the cliche that, you know, I wouldn't trade mine for yours, that sort of thing. That said, it would appear, and for the reasons, uh, well, for these reasons, one, you're traveling, got back middle of the night. Uh, two, as the time this show's air airs, I'll be involved in the signing day party with Coach Taggart. And uh, so point being, we're not doing the show live, so we're guesstimating on some of this. It would appear that Florida State loaded up on DBs, loaded up on offensive line, missed on a quarterback, which is what everybody's going to focus on because in light of the DeAndre Francois story, I'm wondering if you have any eligibility left, Keith. You were a quarterback in high school, and James Blackman is about all FSU has right now. Well, I don't have any eligibility left because, A, I'm way too old and couldn't do it. But maybe I can go out to practice and I can just run the second team while Blackman gets a a, a blow, you know, gets a rest because they don't quite have enough to even do drills, do they? Well, they're going to have two. I mean, you're going to have Jordan Travis transfer in, and we'll see if he ends up being eligible. I've heard both schools of thought. One, there's no way. The other being that they're going to apply and see if they can get him a waiver to get him eligible. Well, even, even if he was, you'd like to have more than two. We just no did question. that last year, no and that's question. not the way you want to go. Well, I think we've got to go back. If you're going to talk about the quarterback story, you've got to go back and begin with DeAndre. Uh, I have absolutely no issue. I am 100% behind everything that Willie has done over the last week. Um, I, I think it was time to part ways, uh, and I hate to say it this way, but I think it's good riddance in that uh, DeAndre, in my estimation, did not do those things that he needed to do to endear himself to his teammates or to the FSU fan base, and he's gone in good riddance. How about that? Well, and we just turned the page on it, and now Florida State is left in this quarterback quandary, which, again, is going to be the focus here. Now, to be fair, 
a couple things about recruiting, and I know people get excited about this. This is another – maybe it's just age. But I was like this when I was younger. I was uh, – I'd get excited about it, but you learn pretty quickly that some of the five stars play that way and some of them don't, and some of the three stars can be coached up to be five stars. And so – you don't, you just have to look back a few years and think about a quarterback class that for Florida State, unless I'm mistaken, had DeAndre Johnson and DeAndre Francois in it. Those were the two quarterbacks you signed that year. We know what happened in both those cases. You brought in Everett Golson as a stopgap, which didn't work out well. There was another kid in there. Got J.J. Cosentino was, was in there. And so quarterback recruiting has not been good for a number of years after it was very good under Jimbo. And you can debate whether it's Jimbo's fault or what went wrong. But but clearly he was cre- recruiting at one level and then it, it dropped off. So it leaves Willie Taggart where he is now. Didn't take a quarterback last year. Now hasn't secured one. And the news there is that uh, Lance Lejean from Louisiana signed with Maryland. Florida State had another kid in this past weekend. I think he signed with Ole Miss. And so it leaves you with James Blackman hoping Jordan Travis maybe gets a waiver and looking at that grad transfer portal on a regular basis or transfer portal in general. But if you need somebody to play, you need the grad transfer portal. Well, and one of the other kids that's been talked about, and, and you and I were talking about before we went on the air, I don't know if he will be a grad transfer or just a transfer, but the kid that started against Florida State last year from Virginia Tech has has entered the transfer portal. Uh, Josh Jackson, was that his name? think so and um so you know who knows i do know this tommy i'm not ready to panic or or be um overly concerned i am concerned because under jimbo's system you you needed a winston in order to make it go okay you you had to have a top caliber quarterback with Bryles' offense with what willie's trying to do with the gulf coast offense you don't need that overly talented quarterback you need a ta- you need a quarterback that can make decisions and distribute the football correctly and so he doesn't have to be 6 foot 5 225 with a with an arm that can throw it 75 yards down the field but he's got to be able to make decisions and he's got to be a football player and I think, um, you know, I think when everything is said and done, they may be able to find somebody that can fit that role. And certainly Blackman, in my estimation, I, I don't know if he's as inclined to run the ball as, as Willie would like or as Coach Bryles may like. But we know the caliber, caliber of kid he is and how tough he is and, and, and that, you know, if he stays healthy, he might be the guy. We'll just have to wait and see. Let's do this. Willie Taggart met the media uh, late afternoon on signing day. Obviously, this is a key question. He'll address the uh, the hall overall, but uh, specifically, you know, quarterbacks always get too much attention and too much blame. Let's listen into Coach Taggart's comments uh, when he met the media today. After the signing day, this group that we signed uh, really fit the culture that we're trying to bring. Um, I think we, we, we brought in some really good uh, football players, but not only good football players, good young men, uh, young men that's coming from winning program. Uh, guys understand how to win. Um, I think more importantly, um, guys that that really wanted to be here. You know, and considered all the the negativity um, that was out there, and for those guys to stick with us and, and want to be here, I thought it said a lot about these young men and, and the kind we want in here, guys. That's going to be mentally tough and uh, be able to fight through things and. Uh, but they also are really good football players. Now, um, clearly, there there are some guys that we wanted we didn't get, uh, but that's how it goes sometimes. But really excited about the ones that that's with us, and um, and we're gonna coach them up, develop them um, to help us build this football team back to where we all want it, want it to be. You mentioned 
football players are these kids that you're recruiting you want them to be football players what kind of questions do you ask these kids uh, their coaches to determine whether or not they have the right sort of profile and, and fit the culture of what you want well, i think you can see a lot of it in, in the way they play and, and how they play the game and how they understand the game you know i think um when you talk with the coach you speak on the character and what kind of guy they are uh, how, how important football is to them you know do they love it or do they like it you know um and and again What's, what's his drive behind it? You know, is, is he's highly motivated by it. You know, is he highly competitive? You know, uh, is he a tough kid? You know, not just physically, but mentally. I think it's more mental than anything. And uh, I think that's really key to understand when, when you're going after guys. Coach, kind of address a little bit of the elephant in the room. It's the second straight year. You haven't had a quarterback signing yet at a high school. So the question is, I guess, is there a plan for maybe some additions down the road or what's kind of what's happening there? Yeah, we, we, we have a plan. Uh, I think a pretty good plan. Uh, I don't necessarily want to discuss it right now, but I think we got a pretty good plan on, on where we, where we want to go. Uh, we've had this plan in place, and um, it's, after today we executed it, and we got to continue to grow to um, grow, we need more depth at the position. Obviously, um, I think um, when you look at the transfer portal and, and grad transfer, there's always options um, for us. But it's, I think it's more important to get the right kind of guy here, especially at that position, and not just go get any anybody. And I think um, going through through last year, um, um, we can't. We got to make sure that we get our guy. And, and when we when it comes to getting the um, a quarterback and making sure that he's the team guy and this can't just be a certain guy um, guy because I think if anything that's what hurt is we, we, we invested in someone and uh, we missed on him so um, that's that's on us and you just got to make sure that don't happen again. Follow up on quarterback Jordan Travis you got to transfer in and he'll, he's in school now what will his status be going into the fall is there some waiting to see if you can maybe get some kind of exemption where he could be eligible right away? Yeah uh, I think we're waiting to see if, if a waiver can go through, and I think right now, and until until that happens, uh, just by rule, he'll have to sit out, you know. But uh, waiver go through, and he'll be able to participate. Uh, Coach, obviously, offensive line was a position of concern coming into the off season. Um, you guys signed four players, and then also added a transfer in Ryan Roberts. How do you guys feel like you addressed that need overall? Uh, we feel like we we did, and, and with some really good football players. I keep saying that, but uh, um, again. Guys with personality and, and play the game the way we wanted to, want them to play the game. Uh, we felt like we got in here. We feel like we addressed some needs up front, you know. And uh, you know, you got some some high school guys that's going to bring you some more depth uh, to 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 the offensive line, you know. And, and getting a, a grad transfer with experience going to also help us um, and coming in and competing. And I think that's so important that we we get the depth in here and, and not just depth but competitive depth to where um, again each and every person know that he's got to come ready to, to go um, each week because um, he's got a guy right behind him to make, trying to make him better or trying to take his job. How has the transfer portal changed recruiting as a whole as you approach and as you try to fix things with kind of quick fixes such as the offensive line and mm -hmm. depth at quarterback how does it change the dynamics from what it may have been 12 months ago? Well, it's just you, you, you always got to keep track of it daily. I think each, each day you see someone different going into the portal, and um, you got to make sure uh, on a daily basis you, you, you keep in, uh, track on your, your current roster and, and where you're at and, and making sure uh, you can fill those needs. I don't think you just fill them just to fill them, but you, 
you be strategic in how you fill it, fill them, and, and uh, making sure that you do your research on the kids that are in the portal. You know, and, uh, how is it different? It, it give you something else. You gotta, you gotta uh, recruit towards and, and and get information on, and making sure you bring the right uh, young men into your program, and, and make sure they fit your needs, and and uh, not necessarily as a quick fix, but um, for going forward too, because you're seeing not only um, grad transfers now, you're seeing guys as freshmen. And, that's going to have years in there, so you got to be smart and, and uh, making sure you're on top of your, your roster and, and, and uh, being creative with your roster management. So, again, quarterback will be the story, and we'll see where it lands. I, I do think Florida State deserves some credit uh, for, for a great DB class and for uh, doing a decent job on the offensive line side, and they may not be finished there. But I always go back, and, again, I'm starting to feel like the old guy in the room, Keith. I'm feeling like you. Nobody evaluates the classes – at the end of the term because that 2015 FSU class doesn't look so great right now as it did when it was ranked top five or whatever it was so I don't really care if FSU winds up 12th or 16th or 18th in the rankings yes you need to have more better players you and I disagree on this a little bit I don't believe that you have to have all five stars and need a top five class Clemson hasn't been doing that and they've been at the highest level factoring i think somewhere between eight and 12 probably on a regular basis now you need to meet your needs and fsu at quarterback has some needs right now so that they've got to get solved but i do think another dynamic has been this transfer portal because as it is now you know you're not leaning so much necessarily on all true freshmen because you can go in and get grad transfers at offensive line or quarterback and fill in where you've missed on some needs, and, and that's where FSU is going to have to do here. You know, I, I'm not the, the big transfer guy. You know, you and I have had that conversation and that debate. I think for signees, when coaches change, you ought to have the opportunity for them to be released from their letter of intent. But once they get here, I, I'm not for full-scale free agency in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But I will say that the one thing the transfer portal has done is at least given the coaching staff the ability to, to go in and look and see if there are kids that would meet a need. And to that degree, I think it's been positive. We'll have to wait you know, two, three, five years to know whether that portal really worked well. But I think there's an opportunity there. And, and, and the other part of it is, back to the conversation you and I have had that we do agree, I'd love to get some good three and maybe four stars in here and develop them. Player development is the one thing that we, we just haven't talked about. These kids come in as great athletes. They're not necessarily great football players. You've got to make them great football players, and that's the coaching staff. We'll get back to football in a little bit with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, when he joins us. We'll talk baseball Yay. next segment with a living legend who is getting set for his final year at the helm. You can guess who that might be. Coach uh, Mike Martin will join us next segment. But, Keith, basketball last night at Syracuse, I'm going to be honest, I was prepared to see a poor shooting night as Syracuse played the zone. And, and you were prepared to uh, for a 41-28 to final when it came to points. I think the most impressive thing, though, I don't – it didn't – I shouldn't say it didn't bother me. I knew that the 21-point lead was an aberration because Florida State was hitting everything and Syracuse couldn't hit anything. So they were going to creep back into it. But the way the second half went, it'd be eight points, then six points, then it was four points for two minutes. It just felt like eventually it was going to wind up Syracuse by eight. 
And that didn't happen. And that's the biggest takeaway for me from what happened last night. And that speaks to the, the leadership and the, the veteran experience on that team. The, t- the team responded. Yeah, you can fault them for giving up that 21-22 point lead. But that's a that's a talented Syracuse team. Uh, they they came into the year not thought of very well. And they're, they're not very deep. Only four Syracuse players scored last night. They played 13, but only four of them scored. But... When it got down to the seven-minute, uh, nine-minute mark, and I tell you what, Coach Hamilton took a great timeout. He was going to take a timeout a couple of possessions before he did about the 10-minute mark of the first, uh, second half. And he was right in front of me so I could watch him. And he, he, he was going to go for it. He was going to call timeout, and he waited, and he waited. And they got a couple of baskets, and he saw some things that he needed to accentuate to them. He called timeout, and they went on about a 14-2 to two run. Great adjustments at the nine-minute mark, and that's what turned that game around. The other thing that was impressive from a statistical standpoint, 30 made baskets, 25 assists. Yeah. And the other thing, and this is how you have to do it to beat Syracuse, 29 fast break points. So you didn't have to set up in your half court and go against that 2-3 zone. That's 29 points you got on runouts and transition. That'll go a long way towards an 18-point victory. It was impressive. Four in a row, it gets them back above 500. It makes up, you hate to look at it this way, but it gives you a little wiggle room to drop a game at home if you play the game that you didn't expect them to get one at Syracuse. The flip side is maybe they keep this win streak going and you start worrying about seeding and buys and double buys. I'm more of the mindset all along, based on the non-conference body work they put together, just get to 9-9 nine and nine in the conference so you know you're in the tournament. I suppose you'd prefer to be 10-8 and eight because then if you happen to lose your first ACC tournament game, you're still above 500, which is not a requirement, but it is one of those things that uh, it sounds a lot sexier if you're on the plus side of 500. The other thing that's happened is but, that... But, I mean, there are three wins from 20 overall oh, yeah, right oh, now, yeah. and it's February 6th. The other thing that's happened is Purdue has gone on a run, LSU has gone on a run, Villanova has gone on a run, and those are three teams you beat in non-conference. And, and the committee will pay attention to that. It was a good win. Yep. Big, big day on Saturday now. Four o'clock, Louisville comes in along with the number one or two high school basketball recruit in the country. It'll be a great atmosphere at the Tuck, and hopefully Florida State can get that job done. We'll see. Baseball is right around the corner. It's signing day, which means we're going to talk baseball, right? <laughs> but it's with a legend. Mike Martin will join us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, moved up in the batting order. Mike Martin will join us next segment. Tim's on the line. Uh, before we say hello to Tim, I'll remind you, Keith, that continuing that basketball talk we had, small little game against Louisville Saturday at 4 o'clock, and the Tucker Center's pretty close to Madison Social, and I suspect there'll be quite the gathering before and after the game and probably during for those that didn't get tickets. I know student allotments sold out. Tim, why don't we why don't we start there? Because you were in Syracuse last night. Short night for you. That was quite an impressive performance, was it not? It, it really, really was. And you know, I, on the way to the airport, I was talking to somebody in the program, and I almost think said that I almost think that a win like that 
where you you get up big and then have to hold on and then kind of you know find another gear down the stretch and, and, and pull away is almost more valuable to me than if you had just gotten up big uh, in the first half and then just cruised the rest of the way. I mean, they had to show some resolve, had to show some metal, had to answer some some big time shots from Syracuse, and I was really impressed, particularly in the second half, with the way that it seemed like every time Syracuse had a run or every time Syracuse would make a shot to get it to a one-possession game, uh, Florida State had an answer. And that's something that, that's pretty tough to do uh, on the road, particularly in that environment where there's you know, a lot of people, uh, difficult uh, difficult sight lines for shooters, just a weird, unique uh, environment, and, and they handled it really, really well. should point out that Tim joins us, as always, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. So here's my question as I was watching, Tim. I was not there last night, but I was there in September, and I'm still sweating from that appearance. So was was it much more manageable than the 180-degree sauna we were in when the football team got beat? <laughs> uh, compared to that, yes, it was it was downright pleasant. It almost felt like the inside of a normal, uh, you know, American building. Uh, it, it was fine, but, man, I, I, I still, when I walked in, had, you know, trauma flashbacks from, from being in there and my <laughs> arms sticking to the desk. From uh, from how hot and sticky it was in there, it was uh, it was it was really something else. I tell you, a couple of, uh, a couple of that. times, something else that jumped out at me. A couple of times, and, and you know, there were twenty two or twenty three thousand there. Uh, that crowd can get loud. They can get really loud. I mean, even though that's a big cavernous building, when you get uh, you know twenty two thousand of your faithful in there, uh, they can make some noise. Yeah, no, they they definitely did. I noticed that as well. And what was really interesting to me was. Kind of the, the contrast, you know, when, when Syracuse would make a shot or get a stop, they would get really loud. But every time Florida State would make a basket, I mean, the, it would just get just re- remarkably quiet. Like the, the, the disparity between full volume and like pin drop quiet, I don't know that I've ever heard anything like it. Uh, certainly it was pretty quiet by the end of the game there. And, you know, one, one thing I do want to bring up is, you know, we've talked so much about Florida State's depth and, and how that's a, you know, an advantage in most games. And, you know, Jim Beheim said it after the game last night that, you know, Syracuse was able to get back into the game by by using the press and playing this you know maximum energy for uh, essentially you know the the after the first ten minutes of the game on and it, and it worked pretty well uh, for the most part but uh, after a while you know by the middle of the second half I mean guys start running out of gas a little bit particularly a Syracuse team that doesn't roll especially deep I think they use a seven man rotation last night only four different players scored last night for Syracuse which for those of us who are used to watching Florida State, it's kind of an eye-popping statistic. And he said, Look, you, just, you, can't, you can't play at that level of energy and intensity against a team like Florida State that rolls 9-10 deep. Uh, you can't do that for 30-plus minutes and expect to, to be successful. Um, they were close, obviously, but it was pretty obvious by you know about the, I don't know, seven or eight-minute mark of the second half that Syracuse wasn't going to be able to sustain that for the rest of the game, and, and FSU did it without playing Vassell and and um, and polite right. at all. I think, yeah, Gray has moved up in the rotation yep. there. I thought it was. Uh, I don't know that it was intentional, but Bayheim referred to FSU as a Sweet Sixteen last year uh, team last year, and I, I, I wanted to say, hey, it was a lead eight. Give us a little credit here. He, he did. And I, you know, I saw that on, uh, on on Twitter, and that was probably my fault too. I was trying to get stuff out quick, and um, but uh, he he was kind of. Spitballing off the top of his head, you know, he wasn't like saying definitively. He was just sort of kind of 
casual conversation. I'm sure if he gave him a little more time to think about it. I don't, I don't think he meant it as a slight. I got gotcha. you. Well, I, I'm glad that they tired out because there was a period when Florida State was relinquishing the lead against that press that I was trying to think of the analogy, and, and I was never a waiter, but I was saying sometimes FSU moving the ball across half court looks like me trying to clear four dishes at once instead of just taking two. I mean, it's just that play. And, and most of the time they, they got away with it, but a few of them they didn't. But anyway – Tim, we're basically burying the lead here, and I, you know, I feel like basketball gets shortchanged all the time because that was probably their best win of the year. And now, as big as the Duke game was, this Louisville game—you can make the argument—it's just as big, or, or perhaps bigger, uh, or right in that same sphere. But it's football signing day, and Florida State has one quarterback in James Blackman, and everybody—I I say everybody—I don't know if you did—I thought they were going to sign somebody else today, and Lance Lejean has signed with Maryland. Sam Howell got away once Walt Bell left, and the kid that was in this weekend committed to Ole Miss. That's John Reese Plumley or John Rice Plumley. So, what does this mean, Tim? Make sense of it. <laughs> well, it means that uh, I think you can feel pretty confident in uh, your presumed number one uh, in spring and, and and well into fall, unless something uh, dramatic changes. I don't know if you know. If perhaps they'll, they'll continue to pursue a, a senior graduate transfer that could come in. Uh, and compete or, or something like that, but you know, for the first time in a, in a couple of years, you know, my my first thought is that you're probably not going to have um, much of an actual quarterback competition for the first time in a few years. Uh, beyond that, I, I would think that, um, and I'm sure this is this is probably uh, you know, not, I'm not the only one to think of this is that if you're if you're Florida State, you're you know turning over rocks, trying to find ways uh, you can to to you know, get uh, get Jordan Travis eligible um, and and see how that. That's if that can happen, you can have you know another scholarship quarterback available uh, and on your depth chart. Um, you know, to me, that's a that's a pretty top priority uh, right now as well. Because I mean, even with a you know a guy like James Blackman who's experienced and I think has has shown enough to throughout his career to make Florida State fans feel pretty optimistic about what he can do. Um, you know, you got to have some depth uh, at that position and, and, and scholarship caliber players. Uh, I mean, it's just it's important. I mean, it's it's a baseline uh, for for college football. So, uh, so we'll see. I think that's probably uh, you know a priority there. And then you know, I also would be surprised if if they continue to kind of shop around uh, if if there's any other uh, any transfer market quarterbacks available uh, that would be interested in coming. Because uh, I mean, yeah, you need to you need to fill out that room for sure. Should point out that uh, as we did in the first segment, we're recording this uh, and and. All the ducks are not in a row, so to speak. So if there's any curveballs out there that uh, we're not aware of, that's why we're not referring to them. Well, uh, you know, going past that one, and I know the quarterback's going to get all the attention. It's a good DB class. Uh, we'll have to see where they end up landing on the offensive line side, but uh, they did get Darius Washington today, and maybe there's another grad transfer coming in. And it, it appears that they've done a better than adequate job at retooling the offensive line as, as we go into year two of the Willie Taggart era. I think the big thing is they're just going to have a bunch of guys, right? I mean, that was, uh, to me, an under underappreciated aspect of, of kind of what went wrong last year. Is man, they just didn't have very many. I mean, there was so much attrition at that position leading into the season, uh, and then the guys did have a lot of them were were hurt or dealing with various injuries, and some guys were dealing with either inexperience or ineffectiveness or whatever the case may be. And you would you know look out and, and try to see you know what else can you do. Uh, and they just there weren't a lot of options. There weren't a lot of a lot of cards to play, and so it almost sort of felt like a not a desperate situation, but certainly a frustrating situation of just sort of being stuck. 
Uh, and so now I think, you know, signing the class that you did, you at least have, you have some options. You have some competition. Uh, you have some, some, some bodies in there that can, you know, take off the burden of, of too many practice reps or what have you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, be able to fill out, you know, to stick with the, the picture, you know, fill out an offensive line room. Um, you know, to me, the situation as far as, you know, relaying that foundation, get as many of those guys in here as you can. Uh, and then figure out what you got and then piece it together. But you you got to have a foundation of, of players available, um, and, and I think they're going to have that this fall, thankfully. Well, Tim and, and Tom and I have talked about this. It also leads to another thing. We're in signing day, we're, so we're talking about the kids coming in, but it, it lends itself to a conversation about player development. What do you do with the kids once they get here, and how do you develop these athletes and make them football players? And and obviously we're in just going into year two of the Taggart era. We don't have a, a baseline or a, a much history there, but that is certainly one of the challenges as well. Absolutely, and it's a challenge for everybody. But not to not to spin it back around on you, but you can't develop them before you get them in here. You know, so the, sure, uh, sure. The first step is the first step is to get them in, uh, and then uh, you know so let's, let's let's cross that line item off the uh, off the shopping list, and then uh, you know move on from there. But, but of course, I mean, of course, you know the the signing day is the you know, huge hype and all that kind of stuff, but but you're right. It, it it only means so you know so much up until you know essentially August when everybody's in, and then it comes down, like you said, to coaching and development and, and getting the most out of these guys. Is there anybody on the roster that can play quarterback that's not at quarterback now, Tim? And I uh, ask that. I, I mean, think, t- I can think of one. Yeah. But, I mean, he's an NFL running back, and he's already been in two different systems, and obviously it took him a little while to adapt as a running back. So if you're Cam Akers, are you going to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll try that position? I don't, I don't think that that's, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not, if there is, I'm, I'm not necessarily aware of it. I don't know uh, if that would be considered an option uh, either. I, I don't think that's probably, you know, that's probably not what you want to do. And, I, you know, you can set um, – See guys switch positions, you know, at other spots, you know, from lineman to lineman or you know, DB to safety or DB to receiver. But having a guy switch to quarterback, I think, you know, generally is a pretty big ask. And if if, if a guy is able to play quarterback, you know, at a high level, a Division One level, um, you know, he's he's probably doing that already. Yeah, I know. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think Cam should stay at running back. I remember, and I don't remember his name, we had the the high school writer from uh, Mississippi on when Cam signed, who's sort of like the Bill Buckhalter. Uh, and, he, he would, and he said he could do it. He said he could do it and was shocked that FSU wouldn't play him at quarterback. Uh, that that was back signing day a couple of years ago when Cam signed, we had him on. Um, what about the, the, the walk-on Nolan McDonald? Is he serviceable? Could he play if pressed? Or are you better served just going and finding, casting a net, whether there's a star in front of the name or not, and just taking somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, I'll say, I'll say this. I, I, you know, I saw Noel McDonald play a bunch uh, last uh, last fall, and you know, there were times that you know I thought he looked pretty good. Um, he's certainly athletic. Um, you know, he can run, he can move, he's got some wiggle to him. Uh, Seems like he has a pretty nice arm, and so you, know, you start to think of um, of you know, man, maybe this guy could bring something to me, and, and maybe he could, um, but then. You know, you also have to kind of keep in mind of, you know, who he's playing with, who he's playing against, the reps that he's getting. Um, you know, it's it's not the same as watching the first team offense line up across from the first or second team defense either. You know, so it kind of comes with those caveats. Um, you know, I think we'll probably find out in the spring what the staff thinks of that uh, because, uh, I mean, as as presently constructed, uh, I mean, he's going to have to get some reps if, if they don't bring anybody else in, and and if Jordan Travis. 
uh, can't get a waiver to be eligible this year. I mean, Noel McDonald is, is you know, pretty much guaranteed to be your number two. So, you know, he's going to get some work in, and, and I think they'll find out pretty quick, uh, you know, if he's capable or not. Question I didn't think we'd be addressing today. I really thought that somebody would sign, so uh, I'm scratching my head as much as anybody. Tim, great job as always. Uh, nice job getting the W last night, and uh, we'll see you this week against Louisville. Appreciate it, fellas. We'll see you. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linefeld. Keith? Sir? Still asking you if you have any eligibility left. You were a high school quarterback. Uh, negative ghost rider. The pattern is full. But the quarterback room is empty. Exactly. Or just there's, a, about. there's a few chairs there. Yes. We'll come back with more on front row holes momentarily. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith continue, and we're really pleased. He joins us every year at this time to have Seminole skipper Mike Martin join the program. Uh, we know him as Eleven. He's on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Eleven, how are you, sir? Great, Tom. Keith, just happy to be with you. You know, during the break, we were talking a little bit uh, about the basketball win last night, and I know you're a basketball fan and North Carolina roots, and it occurs to me, you know, this conversation might be a little different if you'd have kept coaching basketball back in those early days, don't you think? Yeah, I noticed they've got a reunion of the CCC baseball team from 1971, I, I wish I could find where my guys are now <laughs> when I coached basketball out there in 71. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, things have worked out okay on the baseball diamond for you. You're going to answer this question a thousand more times before opening day, and you've already answered it a million times. But does it feel any different right now knowing that this is your last year as you get set to start the 2019 campaign? You know, I, I wish I could say that, nah, it's just another year. It it's gotten to the point where I walk across the field and I go, "That gum is February the sixth, and I only got four more months to walk across that field." Well, shut up and play. That's what you tell the guys. <laughs> Coach, so I, I, I can I, I where we are. I can identify with that because I remember my senior year of football. During two a days, leaving the field, going, "Thank God, that's the last Tuesday afternoon in the first week of two a days. I got to do this." Well, <laughs> <coughs> uh, I tell you, Keith, it, it's uh, something that only an athlete can understand, and that is when you have love for a place that has been so good to you and you know that it's about to be over, to say it doesn't mean anything to you is is nothing short of the biggest lie I could tell. I'm going to miss it, but it's called life, and you just move on. Uh, I have been treated royally here at Florida State University. Uh, I look back, and all I ever wanted was a opportunity florida state gave me that and i just hope that this year we can 
stay healthy, that we can watch these young men get better with each and every game and just see what happens. But it does feel different. I'll just tell you that right now. Coach, I've asked Coach Bowden this. I don't recall ever asking you this, but um, what's the difference in the players and the kids today versus 40 years ago? How have they changed? Well, there's no doubt that the coaches on the high school level are just outstanding all over the state and elsewhere. And we're getting players that are advanced more advanced than we did 40 years ago, or I should say 45 years ago. You see guys that are, (laughs) we got seven guys that throw in the 90s. For goodness sake, we didn't have two guys that threw in the 90s in the last three years. It's just, it's no doubt it's just, Guys are bigger and stronger, outstanding coaching. And uh, other than that, we're not changing the way we so-called go about coaching. Uh, The young men know what is expected when it comes to academics, when it comes to playing the game the right way. So, therefore, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And if they don't do it, they know the consequences. So, therefore, the biggest change, I think, is the talent level. And as a coach, be sure that you don't stick your nose in there too far and mess somebody up. Just watch closely, make your suggestions and then move on. Eleven, what about the state of the game right now? I mean, you've seen four decades of it as the head coach, and it seems to be, I'm talking about college baseball, as popular as, as ever. It's its all over the SEC network. The ACC network's coming. Uh, you know, what what's good about where we are right now and, and what needs to be considered as ways we could grow this game or improve it moving forward? I think the reason that the game is growing at such a, rate is that athletic directors all over the country are seeing that facilities are important and they're building better facilities all over college baseball. I mean, University of Florida is building a, gosh, $49, $50 million stadium, or is it over 100 I don't know, but I know they're building a brand-new stadium, and if I'm not mistaken, their football team is putting their football-only facility where the baseball field is now. You see guys that really are putting a lot of, of effort into making their sport more important because it will generate money. And, heck, Florida State's been revenue-producing for a long time. I look back on schools like, well, Louisville, Wake Forest, North Carolina State, North Carolina, 
Duke plays in a AAA facility, just to name a few in our league, and I didn't name Miami, but maybe I did that on purpose. But anyway, it's just a situation that you're really impressed with athletic directors that say, hey, this is something that can generate a lot of interest. It can generate revenue. Let's get better facilities. Eleven, we play, uh, we have Tim Linnefelt on as our Seminoles.com insider during football season, and we play a game called Rapid Fire. Now, I, I didn't prep you for this, and I don't know, you, you know, in some cases to these questions I'm going to ask you, you may not want to pin it down to one player given how many you've coached. But uh, the premise is just give us a quick answer that comes to mind, uh, you know, from your career. And I'm thinking of this one in light of that Dion special last week, uh, which I'm sure you probably watched having coached him. And so he may be the answer. But but who's the best guy you've coached going first to third? We've had uh, we've had a number of guys that stick out, but the one that pops in my mind right now, because I saw him every single day, he didn't come from football, and it was Tony Thomas. Tony was, it was just beautiful. Best stake in Omaha. Where do we go? Prime. What flavor shake do you get at Zesto's when you're out there? Caramel. <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. Not so much caramel, please. Just a little bit of caramel, but mainly I want to be sure I got a taste of it. Rosenblatt or TD Ameritrade? TD Ameritrade. Uh, it's just so modern and it has so many extras from where you're waiting in the wings to play your game, whether it's the the vastness of the stadium, the location of the stadium is is probably not the main issue. And it's and just if you think about it, Rosenblatt was right next to the zoo, and that was neat. And this and <laughs> this day was right. Right behind the backstop. <laughs> Best in Rosenblatt. So I got to go still with TD Ameritrade. Okay. Now this one's a tough one, but uh, the, the best stroke. I mean, just the sweetest swing to watch. And I, I've got guys that come to mind for me. You've got several, I'm sure. Boy, the, the first one that comes to mind is John Ford Griffin. If you... If you see a better stroke than his, you're looking at, no doubt, a big-time major leaguer because John Ford only got a cup of coffee up there, but he was he just a great, great stroke, no doubt. But that is very difficult to answer because I could name 15, 20 more. Well, and that's I'll stop here because I don't want to pin you down too much more on the on the rest of those guys we play that game, and I want to spend some of this time uh, with this year's team. What has you most excited about the group you've got going into twenty nineteen? 
I just love to see the freshmen get better. I think that's what excites me more. Number one, me, Mike Martin Jr. has done an unbelievable job recruiting. We've got some freshmen that have not played in an environment like this in their entire life. Heck, there'll be more people at fan day than most of them played in front of in high school. So we've got to just be patient. We've got uh, four, possibly five freshmen in the lineup. You got uh, a sophomore pitcher, uh, possibly two sophomore pitchers in your top three. So there's a there's a lot of things that we know we've just got to keep our cool and mainly be patient. But that's what excites me to see a young man have success and then we have to go to him and say, Hey, this is baseball. You gotta understand. If you struggle tomorrow, you can't act like it's the end of the world. Or you wait until the next day to see how he responds and then talk to him because you don't want to put that negative thought in his mind. But there's some guys that you can see after the game think they got it all figured out. And you have to go to him and say, hey, you know the importance of your rest. You know the importance of your being ready to play. You can't live on what you did yesterday in this game. It's what have you done for me today. Coach, going back to those freshmen, uh, we had meat on a couple of weeks ago, and and he was so excited about them. I asked him the question, you know, as good as they may be at the plate, do you change your philosophy just a little bit? Because, you know, historically you, you, you've got a club that's uh, amongst the top in the country and walks, and you're very patient at the plate. But some of these kids have got some tremendous power. I mean, do you, do you maybe tweak it just a little bit to turn them loose and at least early on to see what they can do? Yeah, with – Mike running the offense, he's going to let guys swing away 3-0 and that, number one, he trusts. And depending on the situation, he may say, I- I've seen enough of this chasing <laughs> and give the take sign. So, yeah, I see that there'll be times that we will change our normal philosophy for an example, we got uh, Mendoza. Mendoza coming up to the plate, and the count goes to three and O, oh, and we got runners on first and second, and nobody out. I'm gonna tell you that's the decision. Do you let it go to three and one, pass up uh, so-called 88 mile an hour right down Broadway? No. You trust Mendoza to look for that pitch. If he gets a fastball away, knee high, he's got to take that pitch. Do you trust Robbie Martin to do that? I don't know. We haven't had him in that situation, but we got Mendoza, so we'll treat Mendoza as a guy with over 450 at-bats at Florida State. But yet, a guy that may have 50 at-bats at Florida State, he's going to be taking that pitch till we learn more about him. We'll let him swing away at another time 
to see how he reacts to that. Eleven, you know the way this year is going to unfold because you've seen other guys, uh, you know, sort of do their farewell tour, if you will. And how do you guard against that becoming even more weight on your team's shoulders of trying to win one for you, whether it's another ACC championship or getting to Omaha or obviously winning winning it all out there? You know, Tom, I've said literally from day one that this program is not about me. It's about the players. And I've told our players that, yeah, there's going to be some attention given to the fact that this was my this is my last year, and there there'll be some nice things that certain schools will do, whether it's just recognizing it or maybe giving me a new Cadillac or something like that. But the point I'm making is, guys, we're we're throwing this away as soon as this ceremony's over. We're back to where we were. We're concentrating on doing what we know is the most important, and that's quality at bat, solid defense, and this game is extremely important because we're trying to position ourselves for postseason play. So. This is a a very mature freshman group. The majority of our guys that that will be playing have shown great discipline. And I feel that, in all honesty, after 25 ball games, God willing, we can stay healthy. We're going to see how much the maturation process has showed up. Eleven, uh, Keith and I just conferred real quickly, and we're 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 all in for an air freshener for that new Cadillac. We decided we could we could <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you know, seriously, best of luck to you. Enjoy the ride. Uh, I know you'll get tired of hearing that. And, well, the ride in the Cadillac, if that one comes too, but I meant the ride that is the season. <laughs> I'm sure that the Hurricanes will be the one to present me with the Cadillac. Well, 11, Rumor Mill has it. Rumor Mill has it. Is they're going to present you with a walker? <laughs> <laughs> then I'll need to check it over before I either get in it or use it. <laughs> 11, uh, you'll be happy to know Keith and I have signed up to spend our Valentines together at the leadoff dinner next week. With so, you. With you. With you. So, I mean, it doesn't get any. We are bringing our brides, though, as you probably are as well, I would assume. <laughs> oh, goodness. I wouldn't think about going to that without me, Ma. <laughs> there you go. I'm well, so glad y'all are going to be there. And I really appreciate the great job that you do on your show and certainly all that y'all do for Florida State Athletics. Likewise, 11. Have fun this year. Thank you. See you. Valentine's Day. Take care. All right. That's how I pitched it to the missus on my home front. Not, you know, nothing says Valentine's Day quite like hearing about the lineup one through nine and what the rotation's going to look like over the weekend, don't you think, hon? Well, I'm fortunate that, that my wife, Kathleen, of all the sports, uh, baseball is her favorite. And so uh, my, my sale job was not that hard. <laughs> 
Now, my wife is the same. Laura's the same way. She's a big baseball fan. I, I, I think I've asked him this before, so I didn't do it right here, Keith. But, you know, Bobby used to talk about, and this was when he was climbing the ladder, hadn't won the title, Miami, you know, wide right one and two. What's it going to say on his tombstone? At least I played Miami. And I, I wonder what, it, you know, 11 would wish that it's going to say on his in, in regard to that chase for the elusive national title. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I, I do know that, and we've talked about this, this year has set up pretty nicely. I mean, this is a very talented club. Uh, they're very young, so it depends on how, you know, the maturation processes 11 talked about. But it's not it's not a club that is a reach for them to make Omaha. This is a club that you would say has a pretty good chance of making Omaha. And as a result, all you want to do is get there. Yep. Because once you get there, then it's a whole new ballgame. It's ball like game. the basketball world it's you live a in. Whole it's matchups ball and get hot and all that stuff. And so maybe, just maybe, you know, and, and what a fairy tale ending that would be uh, if it were to work out that way. I can't promise you a fairy tale ending, but we will have an ending to the show when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith, thanks to Mike Martin. Always good to catch up with 11. It is hard to fathom this will be the last go-round. Is it 40 or 45? He corrected us. Well, 45 counts as assistant days. It's 40 is the started in 1980. His career, I've told this story before too, but I've introduced him before. He started, think about how long ago this feels. His first win came in the same 24-hour span that uh, of the Miracle on Ice when the U.S. beat the Soviets in ice hockey in the Winter Olympics. Because wow. I've always joked with him, he was bitter that, you know, that got more attention than his first win did over Miami. Um, but that's a lot in four decades. Anyway, good good luck to eleven uh, basketball team. Big game this weekend. Uh, great showing last night. The story though is signing day and a quarterback that got away. Florida State's now gone back to back cycles without signing a freshman quarterback. And again, we're recording this uh, around our crazy schedule. So if you know if there was a wild card, uh, we're not aware of it as we reference this. It leaves James Blackman. It leaves uh, Jordan Travis if they can get a waiver for him. But what it leaves is a depth issue. But you're saying don't panic. No, because I think there's there's somebody else out there. And, and I think the staff will find a way to, do, as you say, uncover those rocks and find them. And, again, I go back to my earlier comment. Given the way the Browns offense is set up, you know, you don't need that Dan Marino. You, gotta, you don't need that once-in-a-generation player. You need a serviceable uh, individual that can make good decisions after the snap uh, with the football. And, 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 and so – the the pool of people you can draw from may be a little larger than going after that franchise type guy but it is of concern there's no issue no question there there'd be concern regardless the concern gets uh stronger exacerbated whatever the term is because blackman is not exactly 64228 unless he's had one heck of an off season since the last game against florida he is a little slender that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying so uh I, I don't know what else to say. It, it seems curious. Uh, there's, you know, la- I will say this because we talked about this in the break. 
if you look, because we get to be a prisoner of the moment and we forget. So let's let's look back at last year. Taggart comes in, uh, starts fresh with DeAndre Francois. For whatever you think about DeAndre, uh, Coach Taggart came in, clean slate, so he's on the roster. James Blackman's on the roster. Bailey Hawkman's on the roster. So they elect not to sign somebody last year. Um, I think that's completely defensible and, and understandable. I mean, nowadays, even if, you know, you, you have to forget the days of having four and five guys, because if you have four and five guys, I mean, FSU, three of them aren't very good. FSU, well, and they're going to transfer. FSU had three last year, and Hockman walked out the door right before also, the season. Also a valid point. So I don't know how many more in today's day and age you're going to legitimately have that you want than three. Now, you want more than one, and you could argue FSU has two right now with Jordan Travis, but he's not eligible. So anyway, you fast forward this year. Uh, you didn't know that what was going to happen with Francois unfolded that way. But regardless, you were in on some high school quarterbacks and thought you would get one. I think it makes sense that Hal didn't come here. His offense coordinator left. He's a North Carolina kid who signed with the school he grew up following. That's North Carolina. The kid from Mississippi is going to sign with Ole Miss or did sign with Ole Miss. I mean, that makes sense. The Lance Lejean kid from Louisiana is the one that's curious. That's the one they thought they had in the fold, so to speak. And so you start turning over rocks or checking Keith Jones records to see if there's one more year left in the tank. Boy, that would be things are horrible. You think things are dire. That would be horrible. They're not that dire. Anyway, uh, appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, we will have, continue to have more questions than answers when we join you again next week right here on Front Row Knowles. Mm-hmm.